RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I'm your host, Vincent Hill, and it is good to be back. I was off the air last week due to other obligations, but I got to tell you, it's great to be back. I hope everyone had a very safe, very fun Labor Day weekend. I actually booked a last-minute cruise. My son and I went to Nassau, Bahamas. Yes, again, for probably the fourth time this year, I've been in Nassau, Bahamas, but we had a great time. Uh, We sailed out on Friday. We sailed out of Miami, got to Nassau Saturday. We actually switched things up. We didn't get one of the excursions that the uh, cruise ship offers. We actually rented uh, some mopads from the locals there. There's a moped rental shop as soon as you come off the boat and get into the uh, main island of Nassau. So we rented mopads for the day. We actually drove around for miles and miles and miles of Nassau, Bahamas. We went up to Atlantis. We drove the mopads over there. But I got to tell you, there is some very, very beautiful country in Nassau, Bahamas that you really don't get a chance to see unless you actually take the time, you rent the uh, mopads, and you just drive because even the tour buses that take you around don't take you to some of the spots my son and I saw. And man, I saw some of the most beautiful beaches, some of the bluest water I think I've ever seen in my life. And it was a great experience. We had a, uh, a balcony suite for our room on the cruise ship. And there's nothing like falling asleep on the balcony at night while you're listening to the ocean as the ship is sailing, man, that was a great experience. And I had a lot of time to reflect. Uh, You know, I've been going really hard this year, Uh, very busy, a lot of projects going on, a lot of projects in the works. So I needed that getaway time. And man, this cruise was just what I needed. And thankfully, we got back yesterday. We flew back from Fort Lauderdale. We landed, we got home, we turned on the news, and then they say, Florida is under a state of emergency because because of Hurricane Irma. And talk about getting out in the nick of time. Irma, I think, is supposed to hit the Bahamas at some point. Then, of course, it's going to move into South Florida. Uh, So, you know, I'm thankful that we got out. You know, my prayers are already with the people that are going to be affected by Irma, much like my prayers are out to the people that were affected by Hurricane Harvey, uh, especially the the police officer that lost his life, uh, who drowned in his patrol car. His wife was trying to get him to stay home that day, and he said, like any other police officer would say, hey, I got a job to do. And he went out to do that job, which was to protect and serve 
the community of Houston. And unfortunately, uh, he made a turn down a street. His car got uh, over flooded by water and he drowned in his patrol car. But you cannot take away the heart of that officer. He had his wife begging him not to go to work. But the dedication that he had to serving the people of Houston made him leave his home where he was safe, where he ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice, giving his life. And my prayers to that officer, my prayers definitely to his family, my prayers definitely to the city of Houston, Texas, because of Hurricane Harvey. And you, you know the, the beauty of this tragedy, if you can believe that there's beauty in this tragedy. If you look at what's going on in Houston and you look at some of the pictures and the steals that you've seen, I saw black people, I saw white people, I saw Hispanic people all coming together to help each other out. I didn't see someone saying, oh, well, I'm not going to help you because you're of this race. I'm not going to help you because you're of this economic status. What I saw was this country, Americans coming together to help each other. And contrary to what you see on the mass media, that's what we do as a country. If you think back 16 years ago to this date called September 11th, you didn't see any person saying, oh, that's a black person over there trapped in the building. That's a black person right there needing oxygen. That's a white person or that's a Hispanic person needing this. You saw Americans coming together to help each other. And again, contrary to what you see on the mass media of those that want you to think that there's this huge race problem and this huge race war that's about to blow up, that's what this country is all about. And people seem to forget that until we have times of crisis like we've seen in Houston, like we will probably see in Florida with Hurricane Irma, which we've seen time and time again. When the stuff gets rough, Americans come together. There's no left. There's no right. It's us helping us. That's what we do. All right. At the top of the show, I played a little bit of uh, audio from a dash cam. And this story, I know it made local news. Uh, it may have made a little bit of national news just simply because of what you heard that we only shoot black people. Now, let me give you some context that uh, happened in Cobb County, Georgia, which is actually the next county over from me where I live. A police lieutenant by the name of Lieutenant Greg Abbott had pulled over this car. Uh, the female was being, uh, I guess, unresponsive to his commands to get out of the car. She was being arrested for DUI. She wanted to call someone, but she said, hey, I don't know if you could hear it in the audio, but she says, hey, I'm not reaching between my lap because I don't want to get shot. Now, that's where you can hear the lieutenant saying, but you're not black. We only shoot black people, right? Uh, that's what you see in all these videos. Now, that lieutenant uh, has been fired. Uh, this actually happened in 2016. Now, he was fired after this this video surfaced. And uh, here's 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 my my thinking on this, right? Uh, it, it's clear when you listen to to his voice, and it's clear based on the investigation. 
this lieutenant was really just being a smart butt to this young lady that didn't want to get out of the car, didn't want to listen to his commands. He was being sarcastic. Uh, so I don't think, you know, what he was saying was, oh, yeah, I'm one of those that just go out and shoot black people, too. I think he was just being sarcastic. Uh, but his department, of course, said his actions were inexcusable, and that's why uh, he was he was fired. Um, you know, is it something he should have said? Mm. Well, obviously, given the current climate, he probably shouldn't have said what he said because especially with it being on dash cam, he had to know that this was going to get out. Now, do I believe he meant it? No, I think he was just being a smart aleck and he was likely fed up with all the crap that we always see where people just assume that white police officers go around killing black people. So his smart Alecness, if that's a word, actually ended up being his downfall because he got fired for it. I don't honestly agree with him being terminated over it. A reprimand? Absolutely. Uh, an apology to the driver? Yeah, absolutely. But someone that uh, has been on the job for 28 years, who up until this point had no disciplinary action against him, no complaints of civil rights violations, no complaints from the black community saying they were her, they were harassed by him. I think termination was totally out of line, in my opinion. I think he just became another victim of the politics of the world we're in right now, that if you say something about black or if it can be perceived as racist or anything in that lines, then the quick fix now seems to be to just terminate the officer to save your department the embarrassment. But I think I'd be more embarrassed when this lawsuit comes from this officer, which, believe me, it's coming, and rightfully so. Here's a guy, again, 28 years on the department. His chief, his police chief, Mike Register, said that he was an honorable man. So if he's so honorable to move directly to termination, in my opinion, was a bad move just to appease the community, just to make your department look like uh, it's doing what it should do. I don't know. I, I, I just don't agree with it. You know, tell me your thoughts. Go to Vincent Hill TV on Twitter and tweet me your thoughts about what you think about this case. Okay, I want to switch gears and send it over to St. Louis, Missouri where the city is on pins and needles, pending the verdict of a former police officer by the name of Jason Stokely. Uh, he shot and killed a guy by the name of Anthony Lamar Smith. Actually, back in 2011, uh, Stokely was arrested in 2016. He actually left the department in 2013. Uh, so there's a lot of controversy around this case, and of course, the city is preparing. The trial actually ended last month. There's still no verdict in the case. Uh, Stokely was a white officer. Anthony Lamar Smith was a black male. And let me give you a little background uh, on the case. Uh, Stokely and his partner attempted to stop Smith. You can see Smith uh, ram the vehicle. Uh, Stokely got out of his car Looks like he fired at the uh, vehicle. He missed. 
uh, pursuit uh, follows that. Uh, sometime later, they actually ran the back of Lamar Smith's car and Stokely shoots Lamar Smith four times. And of course, he shot fatally. Now, he was charged with first degree murder. And of course, the city is saying, uh, you know, based on what happened with Michael Brown, uh, based on what happened with Freddie Gray, that this officer, this former officer, I guess, is going to be acquitted. Uh, me personally, I don't know. I'm not so sure. You know, I, I watch the entire 12 minute dash cam video, which is combined with some cell phone video. There's a lot of things uh, that are questionable. Uh, this was in December of 2011, December 20th, to be exact. There's a lot of snow on the ground. Uh, when you watch the video, uh, I was watching it in anticipation that a lot of people would have been hurt and killed by this pursuit, which got up to 85, 90 miles an hour at some points, which, you know, in snow, I mean, it, it's hard enough to drive that speed through residential neighborhoods when it's perfectly dry but in snow it makes it that much more difficult so the pursuit itself was was very dangerous me personally i got a license plate i would have called out that pursuit i would have got him another day i would have got him another way i would have taken warrants out against him all of those things which which i've done in the past now here's where it gets i guess you can say interesting two things uh in the uh Inside the car uh, video, which of course has audio, you can hear officer then at the time, officer Stokely saying, I'm going to kill this MFR. Don't you know it? So, of course, the prosecution is saying that he premeditated this murder. Uh, when you, again, you watch the video, you see the car pulled over based on the angle of the uh dash cam and based on the angle where the shooting happened you really can't see what was going in the on in the car now the account that the officers gave was that uh mr smith was reaching around and they believed he had a gun because they had previously saw a gun uh at the previous uh, attempted stop uh so you can hear him in the video stokely saying i'm gonna kill this mfr don't you know it four shots uh mr smith dies then there's a gun recovered. The only problem in this whole thing is based on the prosecution and based on, I guess, whatever lab results returned. I, I don't think the prosecution has a reason to lie about this. The only person's DNA on that gun was Stokely's. Now, in the video that's inside the patrol SUV, you can see Stokely going into a duffel bag a few times moving around but you really can't see what he's doing then it gets more interesting if you will a few officers show up they move smith out of the vehicle and then stokely gets in the front seat for several seconds now here's where i have a huge problem with that now i'm not saying he planted a gun i don't know i wasn't there it's questionable that only his dna was on it but here's where i have a huge problem you shot an individual inside the car. You removed him from the car. The car itself at that moment should be and is a crime scene. 
There's no reason the officer should have gotten in the vehicle, set himself in the front seat where the individual was just shot. There's all kind of cross-contamination. I assume if he was shot in the front seat, there was blood in the front seat, in the front of the car that you basically just cross-contaminated. So I can see, based on what I saw, why there were charges against this officer. A, personally, I think his command, his supervisors, kind of failed him in not calling off the pursuit. Now, the one thing I hated about Nashville is the one thing that probably kept a lot of officers, a lot of civilians alive. And the fact that at any given moment, your supervisor would come over that radio and say, Signal 9, that pursuit, that translates to cancel that pursuit. If you start saying, oh, I'm doing speeds 85 miles an hour and it's snowing out, you better believe in Nashville they're going to say, cancel that pursuit because at that point not only are you putting yourself in danger you're putting the person you're chasing in danger more importantly you're putting the public in danger so I honestly fought whoever was his supervisor that day whoever was in command why they didn't say hey you need to cancel this pursuit now again I'm not saying that a gun was planted I don't know could it happen yeah it could happen did it happen? We don't know. That's up for a, a jury to decide. But I think had the command listening to that pursuit say, hey, those speeds are too dangerous for these conditions for this area. I mean, you're doing 85 miles an hour. There's cars like stopped on the side of the road that you're swerving to miss. They actually wrecked the police SUV trying to make a left turn into a pole or a tree or whatever it was. So it was already dangerous in itself. Then you add to the fact that Stokely says, I'm going to kill this MF. Don't you know it? It was just a powder keg waiting to explode. And I think had it stopped at that pursuit, had his command given that order, it would have stopped. Or he could have kept chasing he and his partner, and then they could have been charged with disobeying a lawful order. Now, outside of that, and you know, uh, as I always say, these cases will always come down to A, the law of the land, and B, if the officer believed there was an imminent threat against he or his partner's life. Now, I'd be curious to find out what his partner testified to during his statement about the shooting. Um, you know, all of that will play a factor. But if you watch the video, uh, it doesn't look too good for, for this officer or former officer Stokely. He goes into the police car. He digs in the duffel bag. He gets in the front seat of the car where he just shot someone for several seconds. So, of course, a jury could say, yes, he planted a gun there. Uh, you know, instead of tending to who is now a shooting victim, i.e. suspect, you know, he's worried about going into the car and digging in this duffel bag and then going up to the other car and getting inside that car, which, you know, it it, it baffles me why he, he did that. Because, again, it's a crime scene at that point. There's cross-contamination. There's a whole lot of stuff wrong with that scenario. 
But, you know, it, it's it's going to come down to whether that officer truly believed there was an imminent threat against his life. And who knows? Maybe they can prove that the gun did belong to Mr. Smith. Uh, there could be reasons why his DNA is not on the gun. I mean, maybe, just maybe, you know, it's a gun that he would normally wipe down and place in the vehicle. Who knows? There could be several factors. It might not be likely, but it could occur. Uh, but what I do know is if uh, he is found not guilty, I think we're going to see another Ferguson, and I think it will be 10 times worse than what it was in 2014 with Michael Brown, uh, because this case has been stewing now for apparently six years, and here we are a month removed from the trial, and there's still no verdict, but yet police are setting up barricades and telling people to remain calm and all of that good stuff. Uh, so, you know, I'm curious to see the outcome of this trial, curious to see how it goes. Uh, definitely curious to see what happens in the city of St. Louis if there is a not guilty verdict in this trial. All right, I, I want to switch gears and talk about a true, true hero. And there's an officer down in Houston. His name is Norbert Ramon. Uh, of course, we all know what's going on in Houston with Hurricane Harvey and the massive rescue effort that's going on there. But Norbert Ramon is actually assigned to a desk. Um, he had actually been diagnosed with stage four, stage four, which basically means uh, that's pretty much all they can do for you is make you comfortable. Stage four colon cancer. Uh, when he heard about what was going on, he, against his doctor's orders, and of course his wife's orders, actually uh, went into work. He couldn't make it to his duty station downtown, so he got to the next closest duty station, which is protocol, which happened to be the Houston Lake Patrol. Uh, and he's credited with rescuing over 1,500 residents in the Houston, Texas area. And that just goes to show what the men and women of the uniform are willing to do to protect and serve their community. I can't say this enough how police across this country do not get enough credit for the stuff that they do that makes them not a hero, but it makes them human to want to go save another life, risking your life doesn't make you a hero it makes you human and it takes a very special human to do it one that is dedicated one that is committed to living up to the oath of what they signed up for on that job and I commend this officer Norbert Ramon uh, he goes to chemotherapy actually in Oklahoma City every two weeks. So he travels from Houston, to Oklahoma City every two weeks to have this chemotherapy. Uh, but yet he's out there. He's wailing these waters to save people, 1500 people. I mean, there's people in the city of Houston who were looting, who were shooting at police, shooting at firemen, who really didn't do a damn thing to help anyone out. But yet here's a guy who 
pretty much knows his fate right now, but yet he's still out there saving lives. He is definitely, definitely, definitely what a police officer actually is. And with that story, I want to segue to my 10-7 segment, and I mentioned this officer earlier in the show, Sergeant Steve Perez, Houston Police Department. His end of watch was Sunday, August 27, 2017. Sergeant Steve Perez drowned after his patrol car was caught in floodwaters in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. Sergeant Perez left home at approximately 4 a.m. in an attempt to report to his duty station in the downtown area, but was unable to reach it due to impassable roads caused by extreme flooding. He spent more than two hours trying to find a route, but when he could not, he dispatched that he would follow department protocol and report to the nearest station in Kingwood. As he attempted to reach Kingwood, his patrol car was washed away in high water in the area of Hardy Tollway and Beltway 8. His body was recovered by members of the Houston Police Department dive team and citizens on August 29, 2017. Sergeant Perez had served with the Houston Police Department for 34 years and was just days shy of his 61st birthday. He is survived by his wife, two adult children, and his father-in-law. He was a graduate of the 210th session of the FBI National Academy. Again, a true hero who was going out to save lives, even though his wife didn't want him to leave the house. His words to her was, I have a job to do. And he did it well for 34 years. My prayers to him, my prayers to his family. I want to thank you, my listeners, for listening tonight. And I will see you next week right here, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is The Crush Report with Jeff Groeschel. When we look at training adaptations, progressions, and practice strategy for optimizing performance, you always hear someone say, it's not practice that makes perfect, it's perfect practice that makes perfect. And that's always bothered me. I just like to put it out there. There's no such thing as perfect practice, nor should you try to be perfect, because the real world of sports performance is never perfect. You see, if you really want to tap into skill development and influence sports performance, you need to make your practice imperfect. Skill acquisition is all about the body building corrective models to solve problems that occur in the competitive setting. So if you've been working to create a perfect practice environment with perfect conditions under perfect circumstances, you may very well be limiting your performance. About 85% of coaching is based on the brain central model, where you communicate with the brain to make adjustments, like constantly giving an athlete verbal cues. The problem It's totally unrelated to sport where the body reacts to the environment with little or no communication with the brain. So try to create variability. In baseball, throw different pitches at batting practice. In golf, do drills with a reverse grip. On the ice, set up controlled skating drills with loose skates. Be creative. And remember, the best athletes are the ones who can easily adapt to the constantly changing environment of competitive sport. 
Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.